morning to the visitors and friends who come to join us. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. As you listen to this passage today and listen to the sermon about it, you might be very tempted to think it is out there about some other nation apart from us because it's all focused on Israel. But as we gather here, we know that this has got sovereign time for us to hear. We decided to do Romans 9 to 11 to continue our series. And then soon after the decision, the war broke out, which tells you that God is in sovereign control of our lives, sovereign control over our church, sovereign control over the books that we study. And every year, there will be at least one reminder that the book that we are reading is truly the Word of God to us. Not that particular book, but there's always the specific lesson for us. So, will Israel be safe? That's the message for today. Let's begin by asking a question. How do you know that you love somebody or someone loves you in return? What's the measure of love? And you could say there are five love languages, the language of words, the language of touch, the language of service, the language of quality time. But one measure is uh, this. Did you read about the worker in Tsingtao Beer Brewery in China? They caught a video of him, and they caught a video of a worker urinating into a container of beer ingredients. You can catch the photo, right? And so, Tsingtao Beer, the shares tumbled 7.5% in one day. And you could say that the mind of this person was not, it was a selfish thing. He just wanted to relieve himself. He found the most convenient place. It was, as it were, the storage place for all the ingredients that he peed into. And those who are slightly skeptical or humorous would say, hey, there's no difference uh, between the colour of pea and the colour of beer. So more seriously, how do we know that someone loves us and, and how do we measure that? Our love for someone can be measured by how much we think of them. How much we think of them. And so over the past week, who have you been thinking about? Over the past week, what have you been thinking about the person or the persons that you've been thinking about? So what has been on your mind selflessly, without frills, without self-interest, without self-gain? Nothing is more assuring than this. Then nothing is more assuring that through the week, someone was thinking about you for your good. If that is true, nothing is more assuring than to think that you are on the mind of God, that God was thinking about you. Go backwards. And so, fire broke out on Sunday in a suburb in Melbourne. And so the mother, Jasmine, ran in to the shed behind the house. Somehow, a couch had unthinkably caught fire. She had four children in there. As she ran in, she managed to grab her six-year-old, the eldest, Mavis. But then the fire reached out of control. As the fire reached out of control, the second child, four-year-old Isaac, you know what he did? He had two younger siblings. As the fire reached out of control in the shed, he jumped and put his body over their bodies. Sadly, they still died because the fire had gotten to them. They rushed four-year-old Isaac who did that and the sister Mavis to the hospital. Isaac had 80% burns on his body. Young Isaac also died soon after that. His father, who was not home at that time, got the news. And he said, what four-year-old huddles over his two siblings to protect them from death? And the father said, I couldn't be prouder of him. A note on GoFundMe website, because they were collecting funds for the family, said this, he will always be remembered as the heroic young boy who gave his life trying to protect his siblings. Isaac is on the right-hand side. And so you could say that who was in the mind of Isaac in that moment of tragedy? His siblings, not himself. 
That's how much he loved his younger siblings. He didn't think of what he was going through and what risk came upon him. As a four-year-old, he had enough wisdom, enough love, enough care, enough selflessness. So I ask again, who has been on your mind selflessly, constantly, passionately, prayerfully, lovingly over the past week? Has there been anyone that's been on your mind selflessly, passionately, constantly, lovingly? And that leads us to the heart of Romans 9 to 11. Who do you think has been on the mind of the Apostle Paul in, this nine, in these three chapters? Let me rephrase. Who do you think has been on the mind of Paul in this entire epistle? Let me rephrase. Who do you think has been on the mind of Paul all his life? He has been appointed by God to be apostle to the Gentiles. Wrong man for the wrong job. Because he was so Jewish, he was so narrow-minded in his Jewishness that he thought Jesus who came to die and rise for us. He's not the Messiah. Until Jesus met him on the Damascus road and blinded his physical eyes and gave him spiritual eyes to see, I am that Messiah. You were waiting for the wrong Messiah, powerful, mighty, political. The Messiah God sends is not going to be powerful, mighty as you think. He is mighty, but he, enthrones him, he gets enthroned through the cross. What a radical way and on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to Paul and his life changed forever. His heart was now for the Gentiles, but he never forgot the Jews. And so, who was on Apostles' mind, apostles mind selflessly, constantly, passionately, lovingly? Israel. And what is it about Israel that was burdening Paul? As I am appointed as apostle to the Gentiles, will my own people, God's original people who received the covenant and the promise, will they be saved in the end? That must also be the question we are asking. As Israel wages war, and both sides are waging war in the name of their respective gods, so it's important for us not to listen to this passage and to think it is Paul's problem. It is collectively something we need to sort out. So what has been on Apostle Paul's mind? Will his own countrymen who first received the gospel through Abraham and became the nation of Israel, they who received the promise and the covenant that they are God's people, will they be left behind? Will they be sidetracked? Will they be forgotten in God's wonderful plan of salvation fulfilled in Jesus? So let's read this. Can you read this together with me? I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bear witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Romans 10.1 Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So did you notice between chapter 9 and chapter 10 there's a difference? They're still on his heart. But in chapter 9, his heart is weighed down with great sorrow and unceasing anguish. There are about 550 of us here this morning. How many of you, your hearts are weighed down with great sorrow and unceasing anguish? Hands up! Some of you. Maybe it's too sudden an invitation. Surely some of you sit here and your hearts are weighed down with such a great sorrow you feel like sinking or you have sung. And this anguish seems to be endless. If only I could see a deadline, if only I could see a full stop to my sorrow, but all I see is dot, 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 sorrow, dot, 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 sorrow, dot, 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 sorrow, and every day is like this. But by chapter 10, he's no longer in the spiritual doldrums. He is on a high. There is hope in his heart. My heart's not sorrow. My heart's not anguish. My heart's desire and pray which tells you, you can pray yourself out of sorrow. You can worship yourself out of lament. That doesn't have to be the full stop of your life. So his heart's desire and his prayer to God is that they may still be saved. 
So Paul's pain for Israel summarized in the three chapters is this. He tells them, you know how privileged you are as the Jews, as Israel, but you know how prejudiced you have become? You think you receive all these things from prominence to covenant to God's people. You receive this new status as God's people as compared to the other nations because you thought that you're more deserving. You're more meritorious. You're more righteous by works. But how prejudiced you are. Do not know that God in saving you is using you to save other people. Blessed to be a blessing. How blessed but how blind you can be. So here is the danger that Jesus warned us about. There's only one thing more serious than sin. What is that? The thing more serious than sin is blindness to sin. To know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but you don't acknowledge from Monday to Sunday that you carry this great capacity to fall short of the glory of God. And so, is there a future for blind, stubborn Israel? I preached this last week at Adam, gave this illustration. My late grandmother lived about in the 90s. Chinese New Year in Malaysia, where I grew up, in the early Singapore, same country, it was just full of red during Chinese New Year, right? Red ang pao's everywhere and firecrackers everywhere. And shop houses would compete to buy the biggest, largest, loudest stack of firecrackers. And the whole street will be filled with red, from black tar to red. I'm not kidding you. You go back and find the photos of the past in the 1950s and early 60s. And then around the house, they'll be all the kids will be playing with firecrackers. So my grandmother was walking at, at the kitchen. She was trying to clear up, you know, lots of people come in and out. And she picked up this red packet. And she was saying to herself, these young folks don't treasure money. They just leave ang pao's everywhere, right? And as she took that up, it happened to be a packet of firecrackers that kids had just lighted. She picked it up and it blew up in her hand. I'm not kidding you. I was there as a young boy watching that. Thankfully, it wasn't too bad. She bled. Spiritual blindness is much worse than that. To think somewhere along the line that God's original purpose saved you because of grace, His grace, and somewhere along the line you think you are saved by works. That's a fatal blindness. That you could think somewhere along the line, right, you can get to heaven on your own steam. So, the book thus far is this. Chapters 1 and 3, Jews and Gentiles all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Abraham is now an example of not saved by works, but saved by faith. From chapters 5 to 8, Israel and Paul are examples of being saved by the law. No. He reasons by the end of chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, I know the law. The very things that I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I do. The law is good, but the law is drowning in the sea of sin. And sin makes the law weak, as it were. The law is good, but your inability to keep the law and please God is because you are a sinner. The law is from God. And so Israel's fall, fault, and future. I took this line from John Stott's commentary, which I highly commend to you, that we recommend to our leaders, but not just our leaders can buy commentaries. We want to see increasingly in the future more and more of our members from youth to adults reading God's Word and reading deep commentaries, soaking in and being transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then from chapters 12 to 16, Jews and Gentiles, Safe by faith. That is where it has gone thus far. So we're at the tail end of chapters 9 to 11. Is there a future for Israel? That is Paul's heartbeat for his people. And in Romans 11, one way to understand it. There are two salvation questions he asks. There are two periods, two phases of God's salvation plan. There are two races on God's salvation tree but they are all part of one mystery that now has been given by God, explained by God. 
So once you have an outline of this, it's easier for us to understand. And from this moment on, switch from, so what if a man has me on his mind all the time? Macro that, what if God has been thinking about you? That you have been on God's mind all this time? First the Jews, then the Gentiles. Or have we always been on God's mind simultaneously? If we trace the history of salvation all the way back to Abraham, and all the way back to Abraham, go to the land I will show you, and you will be a blessing, and you'll be a blessing to others. God always had in mind salvation first to the Jews, and then global blessings to the world. And what does that mean for you and me? Romans 1, 16 to 17 says this. Can we read this together? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here is the proof that God from eternity past has always had on his mind the salvation of Jews and Gentiles. But his plan was launched in two phases. Phase one, first to the Jew. Phase two, then also to the Greeks and the Gentiles. If that seems so far away, let's macro that and personalize that to us. Whether your child popping into childcare for the very first time and you face the separation anxiety, whether you've popped into primary one, whether you've attended a new school in sec one, do you realize that God is thinking about you? You may not be on any person's mind. You may have joined a class of 40 children, 40 students in sec one, and the teacher is stretched to care and think about the 40 students. But you know what? Your name and your life is on God's heart and God's mind. That is the assurance. As you enter a new school, you may be marginalised, you may be laughed at, you may not be accepted into the inner circle because you didn't join a true trained school that they went through MGS primary, MGS secondary, but I'm from a new school. They went through ACS primary, ACS secondary, but I'm from a new school and not really welcome. God's mind and God's heart is on you. You are never alone. Can you believe that? As you go through a troubled marriage, do you know that God's mind and God's heart is on you? As you age and you become more fragile in your body, you're not forgotten by God. His mind is on you. It's the most assuring and warm-hearted thing that you and I, sinners, could be on the mind of the Holy God. That is the greatest assurance. So ponder that truth. When we use the races, it's just Jews and Gentiles out there. But when we personalise this, that your dad and your mum fighting for their life in ICU is on the mind and the heart of God. And He can use you to save your dad and your mum. That's how the gospel works. No one is ever forgotten. God is always putting the pieces together to bring us to salvation. With that in mind, then the two life and death questions. I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means. He wants to assure His fellow countrymen, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew, do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? So the question being asked as you read this book, hey, now the Gentiles are included. It seems that there are more and more Gentiles in the house churches of Rome. When Paul wrote this letter, has God favoured the Gentiles over the Jews? What on earth happened to us being first in the queue? Have we lost our privileges altogether? Was Israel handicapped now in God's plan of salvation? Maybe the Gentiles drew level with us Jews. I do not know how they drew level. 
Maybe the Gentiles not just drew level with us, but they raced ahead. Maybe God changed the rules. He opened the door wider for them. Maybe God held Israel back. There are many ways to overtake someone. So the Gentiles, did they have an extra handicap to race ahead of the Jews? Was Israel as the oldest sibling in this plan of salvation? Was she suffering sibling anxiety at this moment? That the adopted child, as it were, who came next, has now usurped all my toys. Those are the issues that Israel needed to sort out. And four reasons in this portion he gives as to why God has not rejected Israel and given Gentiles a shortcut into being saved. He firstly gives a personal reason. I, 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 I'm, I'm Paul. I'm a Jew. And I'm chosen. I'm the living proof. And so Afghanistan just had an earthquake. If you live in a country with earthquakes, my late elder sister lived in Japan because she married the Japanese. She said to me after the tsunami struck, it's not the tsunami alone that terrifies us, but the aftershocks that never seem to stop. And you never know where the ceiling, whether the ceiling and when the ceiling is going to collapse or whether the whole house is going to collapse. You, if you live in an earthquake zone, and it strikes, the number one thing is the miracle of finding a baby. Seven days later, an old man, ten days later from the rubble. And Paul is saying, I, I, I survived. I made it. I'm not the object of God's wrath. I, on behalf of the nation of Israel, is a living proof. He pulled me out of the rubble from being saved by works to being saved by faith through grace through Christ. So he's the living proof of this. And then it's what we call the covenantal proof of this. That God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. The word foreknew doesn't mean God's prior, doesn't just mean God's prior knowledge of you. It means God's prior choice of you. So he foreknew you, that means he foreloved you and he forechose you. That's what it means that you are included in his team. And Paul is wondering, on behalf of the nation, did God's initial four love and four choice and God's later rejection, they are, the two things are mutually exclusive. God is not capable of doing this. He is not a fickle God. He is not a capricious God. A God who changes his mind. He chooses his people at one point, then decides, I made a mistake. I dropped them. Then I choose the Gentiles. You think God has change his standards of holiness? Is he desperate? And so, has he changed his guest list? As pastors, we go to weddings, we do funerals. I've observed to time that one of the things that causes the greatest angst or pain in preparing for weddings is preparing the wedding list. Is that true? All wedding couples, look here. Is that true? Absolutely. As you work out the list between your friends, your family, your friends, with your future husbands, friends or family, then the two parents work out the list. And sometimes you make the list, then you let it out too early, then oh yeah, the restaurant can only take that many tables, then you have to cut the list or cull the list. Have you ever done that before? Hey, Auntie May, sorry we invited you too early, we told you about our, our, our son's wedding, but not enough seats. Lah. <laughs> Uh, how do you feel like being dropped from the guest list? Not very good, right? Has God dropped Israel from his guest list to heaven? No, he hasn't. Because he made a covenant. And a covenant is you never do a U-turn on that covenant. Then there's historical reason. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They are evil. They've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars and I'm left alone. They seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? Hey, Elijah. Uh, that was my word, sorry. I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. Elijah the prophet, after a while, entered an echo chamber 
and the echo chamber was, I think I'm the only true Israelite left. He entered the echo chamber that he's the solo flyer, the solo loyalist to God. The entire nation is not. And God speaks to him and says, no. Israel's national apostasy, big word, Israel's national U-turn against God is not total. There are 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to a foreign god. So you are loyal. Praise God for that, Elijah. But there are 7,000 others as important. So what does that mean? This God does not do a U-turn on His covenant. There will be a people. They won't just be a person to worship Him. And then fourthly, He gives the reason of the present. So too, because God kept a remnant in Elijah's time, not all Israel is Israel, but a remnant is the spiritual Israel, there is now a remnant chosen by grace. National Israel, racial Israel functions by works. For it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So, will the Jews be saved? He gives four reasons from the personal to the covenantal to the present. As much as there was a remnant there in Elijah's time, there is a remnant now. Look at me. I'm the walking, living, breathing example, says Paul. By, by God's grace, there was a remnant then. There's a remnant now. But the questions continue in Israel's life and people. But why so many of Israel disobey? Can we read this? Verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what he was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Not, and so, the lesson when you pull it out, not all national Israel is Israel. Just because you carry the name Israel or Jew doesn't make you a God person. So physical Israel was hardened, spiritually hardened, to see God at work in their salvation plan. They were blind, they are deaf, right? And so what, when might you experience blindness and deafness? You could ask your mum in the kitchen, hey mum, you, you all as the family share the same kitchen, uh, where, is the, where is the chopper? And your mum may say to you, do you not know this is your own kitchen? Are you blind? Are you deaf? The chopper is underneath that place. And mom, where's the crockery? Eh? After a while, familiarity makes you a bit dull. Spiritually dull. And you think this is the responsibility of somebody else. Physical Israel was hardened, blind, deaf. Remnant Israel was, polit was spiritually sensitized. Anything God says, they listen. Everything God says, they listen. And they obtain it by grace. So, in Israel's history, by the time you come to the announcement to Mary and Joseph that God was going to give them a special child that will turn out to be the Messiah, who were they? They were not national Israel, they were remnant Israel. And remnant Israel was really poor, forgotten. And though Mary found it hard to listen, she listened. She stored it up in her heart. She didn't really understand that this child that was promised to her would be the child of God in her, but she kept it in her heart. That's called spiritual sensitivity. Whatever God says, though I don't fully understand it, I will keep it in my heart, pray, ponder, to see how it might work out in the future. But simply because God spoke it, I listen. Simply because God spoke it, I listen. So it may be time, I do not know where this has been shown. I've put together some from the different commentaries. And so physical Israel lost it by works. Spiritual Israel, which is now remnant, they got it by grace. And that's an important thing to realise, that not all Israel are Israel. And where does that lead us? There are three stages in two phases of God's one salvation plan. I call this a three, two, one plan. Can you get it? Right. Are you still there? Just check your neighbour. Are you still there? 
This chapter is not easy. But by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, we'll try to understand this. Three stages in the two phases of salvation. Yes, I know it's two phases. Where did the three stages come from? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. As you see Paul unwrap it now, I can only show it to you slowly through diagrams, right? So I ask, second question. Did the Jews stumble in order that they might fall? Did they stumble and fell off the cliff of salvation? You fall off the cliff of salvation, you're gone. There's no U-turn. By no means. He kept saying, by no means. It's a strong no, no, no. The Jews didn't fall off the cliff. They stumble over the cornerstone, who is Christ. That's quite different. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous, a very strange God who makes his people jealous. This is not a bad jealousy. This is a good jealousy. And what is a good jealousy? A good jealousy is, hey, how come they got that? How did they get that? And how do we deprive them of that? No, that's bad jealousy. A good jealousy. How come they got that? We also want the same thing. That's a good jealousy. How come they got forgiveness? How come they received the love of God? How come they now live at peace with God? They got that. We want that too. We thought we had that, but we lost it along the way. Now, if their trespass means riches for the bull, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Please tell me honestly as you look at the Bible verses. Do you understand this? So here are the three stages. Are you ready? Right? And the three stages are this. Stage number one. The Jews' unbelief. The Jews' disobedience. The Jews' sin. Right? It triggers the Gentile salvation. And so as one writer put it, Jewish rejection, Jewish rejection of the gospel, saved by grace alone through Christ, is not the reason for Gentile inclusion. It is the occasion for Gentile inclusion. God always had it in His plan that national Israel will not believe. And when national Israel does not believe, bang, that's the trigger. That is the point in time where God will include the Gentiles. That happened with Paul, with God sending Jesus and then Jesus commanding Paul to be apostle of the Gentiles. That's first stage. And then what will happen second stage? So the Gentiles more and more in Rome get saved. More and more all over Asia Minor that Paul goes to preach the gospel. Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, they all get saved. We got in. Then it will trigger backwards. The Jews become envious. They got in. We miss out. What on earth happened? And this jealousy that they have is ordained by God as they see the floodgates open for Singaporeans, Malaysians, Indonesians, Palestinians to believe in Christ. Do you know there are Palestinian Christians? Do you know that there are Palestinian Christians? On the two trips we went to Israel and Turkey, the guides were Palestinian Christians. They were in the minority of minorities. They could tell us the Jewish background to the whole Old Testament. They could also name Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. When modern-day national Israel looks at that, they should actually envy, not despise them. And then there's a third stage here, which is now the Jews are beginning to be saved in the end time. So Israel's fall led brought blessings. Then Israel's fullness the fullness of the number of ordained people from Israel will bring in even greater blessings from the Gentiles. Amen? Can I understand or not? Okay, I'll try again. Let's go back. <laughs> this is as best as I can already. Okay? And after that, good do Bible study. And afterward, when you mark on, you say, take down these things and talk about the message you just heard. Talk about the passage of Scripture you just heard. So God's salvation plan, priority of the Jews first, finality of Gentiles, equals totality of the whole church. Amen? Yep, it's as clear as day. Now he goes into the olive tree. And what on earth is this olive tree? But if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, 
and now share in the nourishing fruit of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, if, if you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. The patriarchs from whom came the nation of Israel is the root. Right? That supports you. Without God's history of salvation through them, there will be no Gentile salvation. So don't you ever say to your root, you're forgotten or you're less than us. It's a whole tree of salvation and the olive tree was perhaps the most treasured tree. Where do you find olive trees in Singapore? God, ah. Gardens by the bay. Lah. Go and look at them. They are thousands of years old and I do not know, you might want to ask Ann Parks, how much did each of those olive trees cost as they dug it up from Israel and brought it here? I wouldn't reckon that would be cheap. It's the most treasured tree. From that you get the olive and olive oil is superb for the heart. All those who eat pork lard repent. <laughs> so this is the tree. Don't forget the roots, don't forget the trunk, don't forget the branches. Disobedient Israel are the broken off branches and then you, Gentiles, you are grafted in. And so what does that mean? Olive tree, broken branches, engrafted branches. The totality of church. Here in this portion, there is a promise to the Jews. Some of us were, some of us were broken off. Not because God is cruel, but because we are disobedient. But don't despair. Don't suffer the inferiority of brokenness. You are broken off. So, you know what it was like to be a Jew in Rome 2,000 years ago when this letter was written? Do you know what it was like to be a Jew in Europe when Hitler rose to power in the 1930s? Do you know what it was like to be a Jew from 1939 to 1945 when World War II raged in Europe under Hitler? You know how Hitler got the whole of Europe to hate the Jews? Firstly, in German newspapers, the main media at that time, there will always be a cartoon on the front page of how foolish the Jews were. And once you get used to laughing at the people, right? Once you get used to belittling a people, thinking that they are smaller, lesser, inferior to you, the next step to getting rid of them is almost automatic. I went to Rwanda and saw that in action of how between the Tutsis and the I've forgotten the name, these Hutus, right? And they, they just name the other tribe as inferior to them. Call them cockroaches. So by the time they were sent to the gas chambers, it, was, it started with humouring, belittling, laughing at the Jews. So if you're a Jewish person and your kid went to kindergarten, they'll laugh at him, they'll ostracise him. Then finally getting rid of him is nothing because they got rid of, of the Jew in their mind already. In Rome, the Jews were marched out in AD 49 under Emperor Claudius because they were causing disturbances, most likely, they thought, stirred by Jewish Christians. So was there a tiff between the Jewish folk and the Jewish Christians? Could be. He marched all of them out. And then years later, after Emperor Claudius died, they all marched back. Imagine if you were a Jew living in Rome at the time, what would be your mindset of your children, of your youth? Inferior. So Paul's promise is don't let anybody look down on you because God doesn't look down on you. You are the remnant. You were the first. You will still be safe if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then a warning to the Gentiles, don't be proud. Superiority. Right, you are ingrafted. And so a mystery, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And what's the mystery? Yes, there will be a partial hardening upon Israel. From God through you, from God through you, until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be safe as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish what? He will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them and take away their sins. So what is the mystery? You won't understand. But there will be a hardening of God's people. And this hardening of God's people will bring in the Gentiles. The Gentiles will create a new envy 
And from that envy, you who are the chosen of God, the full number of Jews will be saved. So God's mind for Israel and the Gentiles, God's mind, He's always thinking of two groups. You can never decouple the two groups, right? Partial hardening is not total. Temporary hardening is not final in terms of time. Israel, all Israel will be saved. All chosen Israel will be saved. Jesus will come away, come to take away our sins. There's been a grievous mistake through time to tell you to your church and Gentiles. We are equal in sinning and falling short of the glory of God. We are equal in receiving a righteousness from God. And this equality pounds home because by chapter 12 onwards, it says, hey, you sit in the same Bible study group. You belong to the same church where Jew and Gentile can love each other. You think that could be possible now and post-war Hamas, Israel? There could be a church where Palestinian and Israeli are converted by hearing the gospel and sit together. In the human mind, no. In God's mind, yes. That is the power of the gospel to save. Will you find a church in which Pakistanis and Indians worship together? Will you find a church in which this carry on? Right? Koreans and Japanese worship together? Yes. You will find these churches around the world where former enemies who hated each other sit together under the name of Jesus and worship God as the one people of God. Amen? It's not something far-fetched in history. It's now going to happen more and more and more when Jesus is peacemaker. Now here is the fuller diagram. Physical Israel has failed. Spiritual Israel is the remnants plus Gentiles, and if I'm not wrong, it will include the previously hardened Jews. They were hardened, but only as you see the Gentiles come in, they now give their life. And some people will put them under remnant, remnant anyway. I'm not sure, but this is the way to understand it. In 1948, post-World post War II, United Nations voted to start the nation of Israel. So all the persecuted Jews around the world will find a homeland. I highly commend a documentary by a German TV station, DW, for you to understand this historically and politically the state of Israel. So, is it possible that some within the modern state of Israel that is waging this war would come to believe in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord? And your answer? Yes. Unthinkably. Unthinkably. So, two covenants and two trees, or two trees. On the left-hand side, a Christian scholar called Stendhal proposed this then God's eternal covenant to Israel still stands. So physical racial Israel will be saved simply because she received the covenant from Abraham, David, Moses, right? So they have a Jesus-less salvation for Jews in this way of salvation. So the mission to save Jews, say, if I've come to save you, I'm being anti-Semitic. And no, no, I don't need you. Right? Jews for Jesus is one of those movements. Don't you come and save us because we will be saved because we have Abraham and God gave us a covenant. But the covenant doesn't find its fulfillment in Jesus. So they have a Jesus-less salvation. And Paul is saying, no, no. You can't have a Jesus-less salvation. It's one covenant. It's one tree with two branches. Spiritual Israel is a Jesus-centered salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. So the mission to save Jews is a must, is a yes. We must still pray and make the effort to go and save our Jewish brethren ordained by God. Amen? It's a very important thing for us to realise or else we sit here being confused by the politics and the war of this. So what was Israel's fault? You at one time were disobedient to God. They too have now been disobedient so that they too have now become disobedient. But God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. 
Final point. Who was more disobedient? And you look at his logic here. God's past mercy to Gentiles. Right? His past mercy to Gentiles, they were disobedient, will guarantee God's future mercy to Israel who were hardened. So in the words of one writer, I think John Scott, he said, both Jews and Gentiles are in a prison of disobedience. You can't get out of it. So can you mentally picture? Mentally picture. And in this prison, there are two cells, right? The Gentile cells and the Jewish cell. So who holds the key to the Gentile cell? Jesus does. Opens the door. They come out. The Jews look at that and say, we want the same key. And what's the key? The mercy of God. God's mercy in Christ is the key to unlock disobedience of all. So we all sin and fall short, but by the same basis and key, we are all set free. You can't have a Jesusless gospel. You can't have a Jesusless salvation. As much as God's mercy poured out on the Gentiles to unlock them from the prison of disobedience, as they see that, Christ will come and unlock their disobedience and lead them to Christ. So let us read this together. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness, Gentiles, has come in. So where does that take us as we come to the end of this portion? So what will cure Israel's fall? and secure Israel's future. She has to know God's mystery. There's a partial hardening. She has to know God's equality. Both Jews and Gentiles will enter. She has to know God's mercy. Because ignorance will feed her pride. She will keep thinking that she is the one and only to be saved. But knowledge of God's mystery will feed her humility. Yes, heaven will be slightly more crowded it just won't be one race. It will be Jews and Gentiles. And so Israel's future is secure. So what? So we glorify God together. No one would have worked out this salvation, but I now, Paul, as apostle to the Gentiles, though I was Orthodox Jew, I now understand the mystery of the partial hardening and the full salvation of Jews and Gentiles. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Amen? So how much do we treasure being on God's mind? Do you know that? You have always been on God's mind. How privileged, but how prejudiced, how blessed. And don't trash the privilege of being the recipient of God's saving love and God's mercy. Mona, my wife, has been away for the past two weeks or so. Hanshin, our son, fell sick with pneumonia. Had to be hospitalized, so Mona went to help look after the grandkids. So my daughter is with me, and sometimes she catches me and she comes from behind and she chokes me, you know, and she, because she sees me staring outside. Why? Thinking about mama. <laughs> and she catches me, and I have to tell the truth, I'm pastor. <laughs> yes, is there anything wrong? I think of my mother. No, no, no. Then she'll catch me again, another spot. I'm sitting at the sofa. Then I'm like, Thinking of owner, then, hey, thinking of mom again now. Yeah. Is anybody on your mind? It's right for a husband to long for his wife in her absence. And sometimes the longing gets a bit achy. Two, three weeks is nothing. Sometimes the absence is longer. It's exactly one year since the human crush at ETO1 killed 159 young people. Remember that? They were out for a party. They all got crushed on that street. 159 died. And here's the testimony you can read in the Straits Times of a mother whose daughter died in that. 25, 26 years old. The daughter used to come back every night from work. Hey, mom, I'm home. Hey, mom, I'm home. Hey, mom, I'm home. Every night is the same thing. From that point onwards, the mother will be assured she's really home. And those are the words that now her mum, this mum who has lost her daughter, just wants to hear again. You know what she tried to do? She lies on the bed, 
sleeps on her bed. I was just hoping to hear her, hear her. And then in a dream, she imagines that the daughter has come back and spoken, Hey, mum, I'm, I'm home. You're on God's mind for Him to bring you home. Whatever is happening in your life, you're on God's mind. He's orchestrating every detail in your life that He will bring you home by you believing in Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. And this is the girl who died, Miss Lee Sang-Win, 25. And she used to come home each night saying, Mum, I'm home. Her mum is just longing to hear these words. I'm just asking. I'm not asking for very much. If only I could hear her voice again. So what does that mean for you and I? Do not take for granted the peace that God gives us in Singapore. There is a war in Ukraine, in Europe. There's a war in the Middle East. There could be a war between China and America over Taiwan. That will be a war in three theatres. You read history, you read church history. Seldom does a superpower survive a war on multiple fronts, no matter how powerful they are. If in one master stroke, there are three theatres of war, even the best army of the world will be stretched. Do not use the relative peace of Singapore over 58 years to sit and to waste our moments of peace. God didn't give you peace to be sinful. He gave you peace to live an orderly life. So we are now with revenge travel, revenge eating, revenge binging, revenge everything. Maybe we should embark on revenge holiness. Maybe we should embark on revenge evangelism from two ways to live. Maybe we should get ourselves ready from the real wars out there and the wars in our heart. So after this service, can you do this? Conversation after the service every week. Reflection for the week. You share and pray about one thing you learn from this passage of sermon. At the canteen, we've always been on God's mind to save us by grace in Christ. How can you respond by being more mindful and thankful to God and Jesus? Asking you throughout the week, how often do you think of Jesus? And then the memory verse I commend to you. Can we read the memory verse? God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the Lord's Supper.